just for Hello, my fellow fallible humans. Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show. This is a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. My name is Tanya McIntyre, and I'm joined today by Sir Lancelot is back with us, my husband, my best friend, my business partner. Lance brings a family member perspective to our recovery business, having lived with me through my addictions for most of my adult life and most of our partnership. I've been abstinent from my drug and alcohol addictions now since 2018. And what happened then was that I found something called SMART. That's an acronym for self-management and recovery training. It's based on cognitive therapies and other science-based approaches to teach things like self-acceptance, self-reliance, resilience, unconditional self-acceptance. <laughs> that takes a while. Uh, before that, I was in 12-step meetings of AA and NA, and I was relapsing every year or two. So SMART is something that has worked for me to sustain my recovery from drugs and alcohol. Uh, that's the operative word, sustain. So I have just recently celebrated uh, four subsequent years of abstinence from drug and alcohol addiction. So well there's something on. to be said about how cognitive therapies work with me, a program like SMART was certainly instrumental in giving me my life back. AA saved my life and SMART gave me my life back. So today, Lance and I are gonna be delving into a topic of self-talk, you know, that, that inner dialogue that can often push us into substance and behavioral addictions that are harmful that negative narrative that seems to run in a loop in our head, never shuts up. Um, the committee in my head, um, I've heard people call it the itty bitty shitty committee, uh, that they just never shut up. They're always telling us that we're never good enough. We're never rich enough. We're never smart enough. We're never pretty enough. We're never handsome enough. We're never muscular enough. We're never fit enough. Uh, we are definitely never slim enough and never hairless enough, you name it. We're never enough until we go out and buy something or take something to feel better. So, uh, you know, I often say in recovery meetings, Lancelot, I say, you know, we spend more time talking to ourselves in our head than we spend talking to anyone. So it's worth the efforts to make it a nice place to be. So I'm curious, how do you silence or at least intercept this inner dialogue? Or do you even have an inner dialogue, right? I'm making assumptions. Another unhelpful thinking pattern. <laughs> well, everyone has inner dialogue. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it depends on, yeah, what that dialogue is saying to you and how you handle it. Right. As you all know, when, I, when we first met, I was extremely self-conscious. I was um, shy, very shy. Um, and as you said, I always thought people were more accomplished than I was, smarter than I was, all the other stuff that goes along with, with that inner dialogue. And uh, I think there's a couple of contrarian factors to where I am now, where the inner dialogue is mainly positive, I would say. And that would be... Um, through what you've said to me over the years, you know, reinforcing and 
yeah, I, I started to read a lot, something that I never used to do. And I think there's something to do with age as well. Age, interesting. So just experience then. Well, I, I was watching a podcast <clears throat> during the week and uh, the interviewer was talking to a neurologist and they were talking about how how you handle things from in different ways when you were young and when you were older. And a lot of the stuff was that, you know, we acquire experience as we get older. And as you get older, you get more and more experience. So when, when a problem comes up or a situation, uh, I like to look at like, um, I don't know if you remember um, Sherlock, where, where he would walk through his mind and open little rooms. Mm-hmm. Those rooms, yeah, and in those rooms were, um, you know, faults and memories and all that stuff. Well, as you get older, you get more and more rooms. So even if the um, the situation isn't exactly the same, you have a lot more stuff to pull on and a lot more experience. And I've found that. Um, that helpful as in, you know, why am I getting so caught up in this situation? And uh, what have I seen in my past to tell me that it's going to be okay? Mm-hmm. So my philosopher dad had a saying, he used to say experience comes from bad judgment and good judgment comes from experience. So, you know, it takes, I think it takes experience. It takes uh, our time in life, you know, using that non-renewable resource of time that we all have uh, to just, you know, live long enough to have gained the experience to start making better judgments from all the bad judgments that came from the past. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what you're saying in modern society, we, we tend to, uh, elevate youth to a place of, you know, almost what everyone's regard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you look at the old societies, it was, you needed youth because youth brings enthusiasm and new ideas and everything like that. But the, the ultimate, uh, decision-making was normally done by the village elders. And that's because they could see a new idea and think, okay, that's that could work because I have experience of you know this that worked in the past that was something similar and this could become a good idea or now we've seen this type of thing before and it doesn't end well mm. so I think you know getting older older isn't um, all a bad journey shall we say you know yeah you you give up certain things, you know, the flush of youth, the six pack, you know, the being able to party all night and go to work next day, all that type of stuff. You give that up, but what do you get in in return? Experience. And hmm. I think more level-headedness. Is it a foregone conclusion that you arrive in that place? No, I don't think it is because you need to work on it. 
Well, I think I managed my addictions for so long in my youth because of that, right? I had the energy reserves. I had uh, the, the youth working for me that I could drag my ass through the day hungover uh, when I was younger. So I was what one would call a functional addict. And, you know, I, I managed to do that for the better part of two decades. I maintained, um, you know, a, a, a middle to upper class lifestyle with a, a progressive career, what was deemed to be by society an acceptable and um, noble career. There was once a time, I think in the 70s and 80s, that journalism was a noble thing to do. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm glad I got out of it when I did. And, uh, you know, certainly paying penance now for taking part of that uh, perpetuation of what I call the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt that is perpetuated by mainstream media. And I think part of that negative narrative comes from those messages. Last statistics I heard, we are now inundated with 3,000 messages a day. So we're all spending at least a third of our lives in front of a screen, right? You got 24 hours in a day divided by three. Uh, that's eight hours at work uh, average. So that's at least a third of our day spent in front of a screen, depending on what it is you do. Uh, if you're not in front of a screen at work, you're probably in front of a screen sometime during your leisure time. Yep. But it's average that we're getting 3,000 messages every day. Now, whether you're picking those up through osmosis, you know, you've got uh, something playing in the background, whatever, you're passing billboards as you're on your commute. 3,000 messages every day we are seeing now, and they're all telling us that we're not good enough. We're inferior until we go out and buy something or take something to feel better. And I think... Uh, the inability to sit with discomfort, you know, to delay that gratification uh, is getting more pronounced in our life now because we're in a society where we got a 24-7 hypodermic needle of digital information being pumped into us. Those 3,000 messages every day, by the way, that we're exposed to, that's more than our parents saw in their entire lifetime. Yeah, and our parents grew up with the advent of radio and uh, and TV, mm -hmm. if you go back a couple of generations, the only the only place you got advertisements was through periodicals or newspapers coming through your door, yeah, or billboards. But you know, I don't think they have. We we've never been exposed to the talking heads that we are now. I mean, right. everything talks at us now. You go to some gas pumps, and it's talking at you. And as you say, normally. It's to sell you something, which feeds into the thing. If I don't have this, life isn't as good as it could be if I did have it, which most of the time, as you well know, like it's, it's untrue. Yeah. Because most stuff you buy, I mean, look at Christmas. I love Christmas. I actually love the build up to Christmas. Christmas Day, as soon as Christmas Day hits, it's a non starter for me. Right. It's that. It's the build-up. It's the, like you say, delayed gratification. It's not about presence or anything. It's about the feeling and the expectation and being with family and friends and all that good stuff. But if you look at Christmas, it's all, it, everything is trying to sell you something. And as soon as you get it, most people, most of the stuff you get goes in a cupboard and you forget about it. Right. And then you donate it or you throw it out. 
or have a gallows. We store it somewhere, right? I mean, uh, this even the size of our homes in the last uh, two, three decades have tripled. You know, the average square footage of a house used to be about, you know, 1,000, 1,200 square feet. Uh, now it's over 3,000. Well, you, you grew up in North America where I been and where we now mm -hmm. live. Um, when did the advent of these huge storage places for stuff right. that you can't? That yeah, you can't the multi billion dollar industry now, uh, storage. Absolutely. Yeah. Good point. We've bought to make us feel better and then don't use. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so but, but pay monthly to store it just in case we might need it one day. Yeah. We're processing so that, 60 to 70 thoughts every day. Our brain is, you know, like a memory bank, right? So all of those thoughts are being regurgitated from the past, right? It's just drudging up the past and just running that in a loop in our head as well. It's just all the stuff from the day before, the day before that. They're all the same thoughts, just regurgitating from the past. And that's feeding that negative narrative. We call it in recovery circles, we call it ANTS, Automatic Negative Thoughts. A-N-T is the acronym. Automatic negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. So how do we intercept them? What do we do about them? Because it's a default that we tend to run on. It's come from evolution. Our ancestors, the hunter gatherers, you know, when the hunters went out, they were filled with negative thoughts that, you know, am I going to live through this hunt? Is the animal going to win this time? Uh, and then the, the female population of those tribes were going out to gather. So they were consumed with negative thoughts. Am I going to be uh, bitten by a poisonous snake? Are the berries that we're picking going to be poisonous? So that, you know, all of that, do you think we have evolved into this default negative mode of thinking? Well, personally, I, I think, again, it, it depends what you do, because all thoughts are information. That's all they are. Mm -hmm. you know, it's nothing more than information from your past to alert you to situations. Now, what do you want to do with those thoughts? Because you can't actually do anything. You know, If you worry about, oh, I might have said this out, a wrong thing in a meeting four days ago, and you're ruminating and it's taking your thoughts over, what can you actually do about that? Mm. It's done. It's there. There's nothing you can do about it apart from learn from it. Right. But how do we so, get there? How do we get to that healthier thought process? We have to first look at the thoughts that we're having, which is why I love cognitive therapies, because it teaches me a couple of things. What I have learned in my recovery since, and it hasn't been a linear journey by any stretch of the imagination. It started in a 30 day rehab in 2009. And that was based on a 12 step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, you know, AA was the model of recovery in most uh, rehab facilities back in those days. Now it's evolving to more science-based uh, programs as well, which is great. SMART is starting to pick up in popularity as an alternative to 12 steps. So for cognitive therapies, for me, um, and you know, cognitive therapies don't even work for everyone. The key is to keep looking for something that works for you because we're all different animals, right? Find what works for you. Uh, and Dr. David Burns said it very well, the most crucial predictor of recovery 
is having a persistent willingness to exert consistent efforts to help yourself. I love okay, that one. So, You'll hear me say it a lot. So if you are having negative thoughts, what are the tools that you in SMART would use to analyze those negative thoughts and the usefulness of the negative thoughts? Because most negative thoughts are not useful. Correct. Yeah. But yeah. you need to be aware of them, right? So I've got um, the, the triple A formula, right? Who doesn't love a formula? So the triple A formula is that you become aware of it. You need to aware, be aware of it first. So aware of the thoughts. Awareness is the first step to progress for me. And then you need to avoid the stuff that is feeding the negative narrative. Because our diet is a lot more than what we're just eating. It's what we watch. It's what we read. It's what we listen to. And it's who we hang around with because we become the company we keep. And I think it's really important to be uh, aware of the, that negative thought pattern. So SMART provides, uh, they've got a wonderful handbook. It's less than a hundred pages. And I recommend that people start from the, the front, you work your way through to the back and then you start over. It's a repetitive process, absolutely. Recovery, just like life. We learn to do structured routines that are going to serve us in healthier ways. You know, we go to a job every day uh, you need to do certain actions every day to maintain abstinence from harmful substances and behaviors. So for me, this handbook has been huge from Smart Recovery. You can get it at smartrecovery.org. Um, if you're in Canada, uh, the shipping might be a little easier to handle on amazon.ca. You can find it there as well. Just do a search for Smart Recovery Handbook. So there's lots of exercises in here that taught me how to analyze my thoughts. Uh, there's something called the 10 most unhelpful thinking styles, which is very helpful to, you know, get the negative narrative out of my head onto a piece of paper and then start dissecting those beliefs, asking myself, is this true? Would someone else, what, what would someone else think about this belief? Is there evidence that this is true? Uh, is it all or nothing thinking? Am I discounting the positive? Am, am I using the mental filter? Am I awfulizing, catastrophizing? Uh, you know, we often joke in recovery circles, are you shooting yourself again? Or are you masturbating? So when we're using things like I must do this, they must do that, I should be doing that, you should be doing this. That is just, uh, that, that's a slippery slope. That's one that we want to avoid. And we need to be aware of how we're talking, not just to ourselves, but others. Am I off topic again? I just go down. No, no, you're, on, you're, you're on topic. But I, I, again, like, I think that that shooting and masturbating is black and white thinking. Mm -hmm. Because if you promise to do something at a certain time to someone, then you should say, I must do this. Because mm -hmm. it's an obligation. You, you've said you would do it for someone. And if you let them down, that's not good. Mm -hmm. So should it but must if, if, if saying that I must or I should makes you feel that can be a motivating thing for people too, right? I have these conversations with people in 12-step meetings. I still go to 12-step meetings, love the peer support, and love the slogans, right? I love that they say take what you need and leave the rest. So that's exactly what I do. I go in, take what I need. I like the peer support. 
Um, I'd like the people, you know, you can hit some good meetings and some bad meetings. You just have to keep looking until you find the one that resonates for you. But there's more of 12-step meetings around as well, which is why it's good to, again, the opposite of addiction is connection. So connecting with people for me has been an integral part of my recovery journey for sure. So I like the slogans, um, you know, one day at a time, that's all we have. I practice that Tibetan cup ritual that I love whereby, you know, the, the Tibetans, they, they do live one day at a time, but they actually have a ritual where they take a little cup at the end of the day and they turn it over upside down and that's it. That marks the, not just the end of the day, it marks the end of their life. When they go to bed, that's it. They don't, they're not expecting to wake up. What a great way to live, to come to terms with everything that you've done in the day and then let it go. When you go to sleep, I kind of hope that's how I go, that I just die peacefully in my sleep. And then when I wake up, I turn the cup over and say, wow, another day, I get to start over. I can see, I can feel, I can taste, I can smell, I can touch, a new day begins and I'm ready to give and receive. And for me, that ritual uh, is a wonderful way to start every day. The key again is to find something that works for you that you're going to do every day because it's a systematic, the difference between feeling better, which is fleeting and getting better. When you get better, you systematically apply and reapply these things, these tools that you find that work for you, you apply and reapply. It is repetition. And then it becomes second nature. And then you're living a life free from harmful substances and behaviors. You're creating a life that you love, a life you don't want or need to escape from. It happens. You can do it. You're worth it. So you still haven't, re you started to respond. <laughs> and then you went. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So I said that if you promise to do something yes. for someone at a certain time that is very important to them, mm -hmm. the, the conversation in your head, I must do this because I promise to do it and it's an obligation. That, that's, yeah. So if that motivates you, Lance, right? Some people uh, rebel against that. They'll resist that. I don't have to do anything. I shouldn't have to do anything. Uh, so that, that could work. That could be work another way. Right. So instead, what about reframing it to say, um, you know, how great it is that I get to do this for somebody. Instead of I should or I must, I get to do it. Which it's is semantics, <laughs> right? It I know. You... But but what I'm saying is the whole it's semantics, but you're saying in a different way, I have to do this with someone because I've promised to do it. How or do I the words do make you feel? Do because I promised to do it. Right. So it how do the words make you feel? That's key because I started to say going to 12-step meetings, um, I don't label myself an alcoholic or an addict anymore. That's part of 12 steps where you, you know, sit in a room and when you're sharing, you say, oh, hi, I'm Tanya and I'm an alcoholic or an addict or whatever you want to do. And I just don't do it anymore. It doesn't make me feel good. Now I say, hi, I'm Tanya, and I'm grateful for another day free from drugs and alcohol. And what that does, it makes me feel better about myself. I'm not myself. I don't feel defective or broken. I feel empowered. And sometimes it can even generate a, an interesting conversation after the meeting. Someone will come up and say, I noticed that you didn't say. And then that's, that's a way for me to say, well, no, I also practice something called SMART. And it gives them something to think about. 
But at the same time, some, some people said, no, I, I like calling myself an alcoholic or an addict because it motivates me. Hey, if it motivates you, then keep doing it. How does it make you feel? How does it make you feel? That's all important. This is all about you and your recovery. How is it making you feel? How are the words you're speaking feeding the thoughts that you're having? Because the words and thoughts will feed our emotions, our moods, and then all of that combined will feed into our behaviors. Okay. So the tools you use, you analyze those faults to see if they are productive or counterproductive. Yeah. So be aware. So we say catch it, check it, and change it. So you need to catch it by thinking, okay, is am I being... Uh, am I uh, practicing an unhelpful thinking pattern here? And the cognitive, uh, the cognitive distortions, and again, semantics there, I don't like calling them cognitive distortions because when we're having them, they don't seem distorted or irrational because we're having them. We're not distorted or irrational people, right? We're people who are having unhelpful thinking patterns. So when you become aware of it and catch it, then it becomes easier to check it. Okay, so let's question this. What is this thought doing to me? How's it making me feel? It's like these, we've got all these wonderful acronyms that we use in recovery circles. This is one of my favorites. Stop. I see the, the visual of the big stop sign when I'm ready to react to something. I see this. Stop. Hold on. Take a breath. Observe. What am I thinking? What am I reacting to? What am I feeling in my body? And then the P, double P's, pull back, put in some perspective, see the bigger picture. Is this fact or opinion? How would someone else see this? And then practice what works. What's the best thing to do? Not just for me, but for others and for this whole situation. How do I want to show up here? What's the outcome I'm looking for? And then we change it. So if we take that just a few minutes, just to stop, take a breath, take three or four, however many you need and observe how do I, and then what, how do I want to show up here? How do I want to proceed? Catch it, check it, change it. It's just practice. Practice. Yeah. And you're going to, and you're going to fail a lot. Hey, fail. You want another acronym? I love this one. F A I L. Well, we say that fear is false evidence appearing real and fail. I like this one. It is first attempt in learning. Well, that's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. You very rarely learn from your successes. You learn from your failures. Yes. So how can we intercept the ants? All those automatic negative thoughts that are swirling around running in an endless loop in our brain. How do we intercept it? We've only got a few minutes left. Let's bring it home, Lancelot. Well, me, I personally, I, I just, like you say, I think about how it's going to help me. And if it's not going to help me, then I discard it. And it's taken a long time. As I say, I'm, you know, I'm heading into the late autumnal, early winters of my life. And it's taken a long, long time to get to this point. So now, how is this helping me? You asked the question, how is this helping me? How is it, is it fundamentally going to have a good outcome for me? Is it true? 
if, if I'm if I'm laying there at night worrying about something, how is worrying? My brother asked me when we were in Spain, do you sleep well at night? And I said, yes, I do. He said, how? Because the business was in trouble. I said, because I do everything I can until everyone else has gone home and there's nothing more I can do. And then I, it's not worth worrying about anymore. Mm-hmm. And I get up the next morning, I do the same thing. Because if you don't, you you won't sleep at night. You'll be less productive the next day. Your performance will go down. You'll get even more into that spiral downwards. Yeah. So ask, how is this helping me? Is it true? Will it have a good outcome for me, for others, for the world? How do I want to show up? So just taking that time, remember that um, that acronym STOP. I love this. I've got uh, lots of these tools. If you'd like to email me, by all means, please do that, redroofrecovery at gmail.com. And I will send you everything that I talk about on these meetings. I am happy to share it with you. So you just email me, redroofrecovery at gmail.com. And if you want to be a guest on the show, or if you think you or someone you know might qualify for our revolutionary one-week residential recovery program, then by all means, reach out. Redroofrecovery at gmail.com. I've got a couple of books uh, that are on amazon.ca because we are Canadian. Mindful Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad, Sage Advice from a Single Father, and Daily Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad. That one's set up like a journal because I have found the power of the written word can be life transformational. So I want you to not only buy the book on amazon.ca, if you get to Godrich, you can find them at Finchers in the Square in Canada's prettiest town of Godrich, Ontario. So this one's set up like a journal. So you look at the inspirational message of the day and then you give it some thought, contemplation, write your thoughts and intentions for the day. It is downright magical at times. Thank you so much, Lancelot, for another extraordinary show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so grateful for you. And I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. You are an integral part of my recovery journey. So thank you. My wish for you is to always live well, laugh often, get those endorphins going. All those healthy chemicals will help with laughter. And live as positively as you can remember, there is great power in knowing that the only thing we can control in life is ourselves. And I want you to always remember that you are very powerful. You are worthy. You are worth the work. Uh, keep it up because it works when we work it. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force.